0: not because they can be lightly roasted and not because they taste better salted, but peanuts were the cause of a salmonella outbreak across the United States and Canada in 2009. It was salmonella in the peanut products that caused reported health problems for 714 people, putting 164 of them into hospital, resulting in nine deaths, four of whom were children. The source of the poisonous outbreak was a peanut processing plant in Georgia, Workers said conditions were disgusting, including rodent infestations. The business owner and the business was owned and operated by the PCA, the Peanut Corporation of America, which ironically shares the same acronym as the Presbyterian Church of Australia. (laughs) The outbreak saw the biggest national brand recall in the history of the United States with over 4,000 different products being recalled off supermarket shelves as a direct result of the poisonous outbreak. After being in business for over 30 years, the business and the owner were declared bankrupt. Again, the irony is with the acronym. (laughs) I know a lot has happened since then, but you might recall that we've also had a major recall. In 2018, we had a problem with strawberries. A disgruntled employee from Brisbane felt she'd been mistreated by her employer, and so she took revenge by sticking needles into strawberries while working at the processing plant. Numerous punnets of strawberries were found to be contaminated with needles. Within weeks, there were 186 reports of contamination. I mean, you could say it was her last straw. It sounded better in the office than it did here. (laughs) While many of those reported cases turned out to be hoaxes, tons of strawberries were returned and destroyed. What has all of this got to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Why am I talking to you about fruits and nuts? Well, the problem with these recalled products isn't just the damage that they do to the brand. The problem here is one of purity. They are no longer fit for consumption, but only for destruction. They no longer serve their intended purpose, recalled, removed, and incinerated, no longer safe, but toxic to everybody around them, poisonous, hazardous, and potentially fatal. The impurity of these peanuts and strawberries is what caused them to be recalled, and it's the purity of our own hearts too that Jesus now calls us to consider. Are we serving our intended purpose? Are we being who we were created to be? Or have we become compromised and contaminated? Are we toxic to the people that are around us? This morning we're in our sermon series in Matthew 5, sermon series called We Are Salt Church, where Jesus is talking about being salt, what it means to live as light, and about the measure that Jesus uses on his disciples when it comes to knowing that they are his disciples. It's a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, what it means for us to live for Jesus. As Jesus teaches, he is inviting us to follow him, to move closer towards him, to do what he says, to be his disciples. Actually, that's the whole point of all of Jesus' teaching. It's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the whole point of this sermon too, for us to live out the teaching of Jesus, putting his words into practice within our own lives. But it is the end of the Sermon on the Mount that tells us what it is that we should do with it all. See it with me, won't you? Matthew 7, verse 24, the words here on the screen behind me, as well as verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Do what Jesus says and wisely you will stand up. Don't do what Jesus says and foolishly you'll crash and burn. If we're going to be blessed in God's kingdom, if we're going to be blessed by the kingdom's king, then we need to make the paradigm shift that we saw last week from moving from being attenders, people who attend, to those who are apprentices. Moving from attenders to being apprentices. Apprenticing ourselves to Jesus It means doing what he does. It means doing what he says. And so here's the whole point of being a Christ follower. This is why we now apprentice ourselves to Jesus because we are the salt of the earth. Look there, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's about here that we try to understand why Jesus is talking about being salt. But really, we don't really know. Why do we? And so we ask ourselves, what does salt do? What's the purpose of salt? And so even if you have high blood pressure, we try making sense of it all by working backwards. So you'll hear people say things like, salt is a preservative. It keeps things from being spoiled. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about. Being a disciple means to preserve the world from becoming rancid. But when you think about that, that's a very big and impossible job description, isn't it? It's a lot of pressure to put on a few people. The other thing you'll hear people say is that it adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor to the taste of things. And so we hear application extrapolations like, we need to, be, we need to bring a Christian flavor to things, whatever that means. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about. But it's really easy to get lost in the metaphor, isn't it? I mean, it is a metaphor. It's not literal. Jesus isn't now saying that we are, in fact, actually salt, so let's shake things up a bit. What Jesus is saying is this is what it means to be my disciple. This is the whole point of you being here. It's why I've called you, says Jesus, to be with me. Salt is meant to be pure. Salt is made to serve a purpose. But once it becomes contaminated, it no longer serves its intended purpose anymore. Once salt loses its flavor, when it's lost all of its saltiness, it's not good for anything anymore, is it? It's only to be tossed out and trampled on. And suddenly, those ideas about being salt, those other ideas about being salt being a preservative and adding flavor, become a whole lot more easier and digestible for us to hear. We prefer salt referred to what we need to do instead of who it is that we're meant to be, wouldn't we? Once we become something other than salty salt, we lose our purpose and we become worthless. You are the salt of the earth, so be pure. Don't be contaminated. Don't become worthless. Don't lose your impact. Salt brings impact. But we're also a church named Salt, aren't we? We are Salt Church. Now, I realize it's a name that no one here apparently voted for. Salt was a name that was forced upon us, like the one you were given at birth. Some people don't like the name Salt. A few people have even told me that. I understand it was never picked for its significance. Someone else thought it was a cool and attractive name, and that someone else wasn't any one of us. But like a boy named Sue, we are a church named Salt. And while Salt is the name that we've learnt to live with, can I suggest that we do more than simply live with it? Jesus is calling us up into discipleship. He's saying, this is what it means to live for me. So let's not just live with the name Salt, let's live up to Christ's calling to be Salt, a church that, lives purely for Jesus, a church that puts his teaching now into practice, a church that has an impact not only on us but a church that has an impact on others, either that or I suggest we just change our name. But if you're still in the dark about being salt, Jesus now uses another metaphor for us. We are the light of the world, he says. Here again, friends, is what it means to be A disciple, here is the whole purpose of being the church. This is why the church exists. Look there, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Look there closely again. We are the light of the world. See what the passage is saying? So that others might give glory to God. Here's why the church exists. That's why, that's the why of the church. This is the reason Jesus created the church into being. Here is our intended purpose for existence. Our lives reflect God's work in us to others so that others might give glory to God. Get that? Our lives reflecting God's work in us to others so that others might give glory to God. Light is meant to have an impact. So how's this for a new outreach strategy for us? Not putting on a show for outsiders, but putting our lives on show for them instead. Not drawing or attracting the crowd with events, but attracting people by the way that we live together. Not just Sunday concert church, but living daily as apprentices to the Lord Jesus. Not just talking people into the kingdom of God, convincing them through propositional truths, but people giving glory to God because they see that God is at work within us and within our own lives. Of course, there is a place to speak the gospel. I am even doing it right now. Evangelism is important. It's vital for growing the church. Speaking the gospel to others is essential, but it's not just fine-sounding words that come from our lips. It needs to be modelled in our lives to other people as well. When life and lip come together, that's when people see and hear that God is at work within us because they see God at work for themselves. It's then that they give glory to our heavenly Father. You see, friends, salt and light are meant to have an impact. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to reveal the works of the Father and he calls his disciples to be the light of the world so that we might now reveal the works of the Father to others. And so is it any wonder then that so many still live in the darkness? Is it any wonder that so many live in the darkness when all we do is talk at them? When all we do is tell them that they're wrong when all we want to do is to convince them that we're right. We prefer playing with the dimmer switch, don't we? But Jesus wants us to shine and he wants to shine through us. If we only shine when and if we feel like it, we are more like mood lighting than a spotlight. When we haven't exposed all of our own life to the light of the gospel completely, when we continue to hide parts of ourselves away from God and from others, covering up places within us that are filled with secrecy and shame, we contaminate our witness for the gospel. We render ourselves ineffective and useless for the kingdom. The lights aren't on and there's nobody home. Lights weren't created to be hidden, friends. That's Jesus' point, isn't it? But made to shine and to give light to everything and everyone around them. So don't hide under a basket, says Jesus. Let your light shine before everyone. Let your light have an impact. Why? So that God might be glorified by your life. But if your saltiness isn't salty, and if your light isn't shining brightly, Jesus says, you don't measure up. You won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, friends, it's all about fulfillment. See what Jesus says for yourself, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not to abolish the law, says Jesus, but to fulfill it. That's what Jesus says he's come to do. Don't think that he came for any other reason. The law and the prophets still stand, says Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets and he wants his disciples to fulfill the law too. But not for us to fulfill the law like Jesus did. Jesus doesn't mean to fulfill the law in the same way. Jesus wants us to go past it. That's what he means by fulfill. Look there, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we think to ourselves, surely Jesus doesn't mean that. That's not only difficult, it's impossible for us. But that is exactly what Jesus says, a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. That's the measure that Jesus uses with us. That's what it means to be in God's kingdom. Here's what it looks like to be a disciple. This is what's expected of us. If you don't measure up, You're out. In fact, you never entered the kingdom in the first place. Now, for well-taught post-Reformation ears like yours, this is a very difficult thing for us to hear, isn't it? It's hard for our heads to get around it, hard to reconcile it with our Reformed theology. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that is the cornerstone of Reformation teaching. So we don't know what to do with Jesus' words here. We don't know how to make sense of it. So we tend to emphasize and focus instead on how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets for us. At least that way we can make sense of it. But Jesus' point of application is very clear, isn't it? See what he says for yourself. Our righteousness must surpass the Pharisees. Otherwise, we don't belong to his kingdom. I know it's hard for us to understand and to hear, but can you imagine what it was like for the Pharisees to hear this for the first time? Nodding at being the salt of the earth, agreeing with Jesus' words about being the light of the world. They were relieved to hear that Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, although that probably raised a few more questions for them, especially when he mentioned fulfillment, not only of the law, but also of the prophets. They're pleased that he's not relaxing any of the law's requirements. He isn't going to to go soft on God's rules and commandments. But Jesus is saying to go beyond the law, to complete the whole purpose of the law. And so when Jesus singles out the religious leaders and says to all of his would-be disciples listening to him, your righteousness needs to be better than these guys, can you just imagine the hostility from them? Jesus is now excluding the Pharisees, the Pharisees from the kingdom of God. And suddenly their inquisitive and curious hearts rapidly turn rancid, toxic, and contaminated against him. The light of the world has just exposed them, Jesus revealing the condition of their hearts. You see, what's happening here on the Sermon on the Mount is a comprehensive national recall people of God have become compromised. God's people aren't pure but putrid. Israel toxic and poisonous to the promises. They've lost their saltiness. They've hidden their light. They've not fulfilled the law. They've lost their impact. Pride now bubbling to the surface, shaking their heads, clenching their fists in rage against him. It won't be long until they crucify Jesus just like the prophets who were before him. It's said of the Sermon of the Mount, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that everyone starts out nodding in agreement with him. It's just a question of where in the Sermon of Jesus that you stop nodding your head to. The Pharisees have stopped nodding with him now. And now they're starting to plot against him. You see, they've ceased being righteous and seek only to fulfill their own desires instead. But if we're going to be Christ's disciples, our devotion and pursuit of Jesus needs to be 100% pure. Obedience in full surrender and full submission to him, not tainted, not contaminated or toxic because love is the fulfillment of the law and Jesus wants us to love him with everything that we have and everything that we've got. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Righteousness, friends, only comes through Jesus Christ. In Christ, our righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, his work for us. Jesus takes on all of our unrighteousness and he takes it to the cross so that we could be received into his kingdom so that we could be declared righteous. Entry into God's kingdom, into the kingdom to come, Only comes when we've been impacted by Jesus. And the call to be Christ's disciples, the sermon application to be salt and light, is to live a life of impact for Jesus so that others might glorify God. Friend, how bright is your light? How salty is your salt? Are you living a life of kingdom impact? Because it's easier for us to focus our attention on others and what they get wrong. Easy for us to be extracted by, distracted by external things. Easy to focus our attention on someone else. Easy for us to do than it is for us to be, to tell other people what's wrong with them than to recognize what it is that's wrong within us. Easier for us to talk at people than it is for us to try to listen and understand them. Easier to expose other people's faults and failings than it is to bring light to our own secrets and shame. Easier to hide away from others than to reveal what's really going on inside of us. Ironically, we can become so self-absorbed that we completely lack in any self-awareness. When we are unaware of ourselves, we have no idea of how we impact other people. When we don't know what's going on inside of us, that's what makes us toxic, poisonous and unsafe to be with. Not addressing what's really going on inside of us, not exposing our sin that lies below the surface to the light of the gospel is what causes us to be sick. Israel lived that double life. They kept up appearances. That's what makes us contaminated. But Jesus is going after our hearts. Living as salt and light means living a life impacted by Jesus so that other lives might impact so that our lives might impact others for Jesus. Living transparently before God and before others, letting our light shine before others, is how, God, how other people will see God at work in us and glorify him. That is the point and purpose of the church. But being a disciple requires another paradigm shift for us. To impact assault and light on the world is for us to move from secrecy to transparency. To live as salt and life, light in the world is to move from secrecy to transparency so that everybody can see what God is doing. The light of the world shines through us. So what's Jesus' sermon now exposing in you?